Jim, I know that you get really confused by acronyms, don't I do, you? I do. So because of your confusion, AMT rebranded their entire conference because they you, knew AMT. that you don't like them. No problem. So they have rebranded the GFMC conference oh, yeah, to the w- MT Forecast Conference. Well, that's not too bad. They cut off two letters and added a forecast to it, which is probably pretty good because I bet you the forecast is all about forecasting, yep, right? Now you know exactly what it's all about. So it's the place to go if you want to talk to your peers and understand from their perspective what the future of manufacturing is. Well, we all want to make good decisions on our business going forward. And I believe that through powerful networking, we can make good, resourceful decisions based on what our peers and the leaders, the speakers that are going to be there that have that crystal ball that can kind of tell us and guide us in that direction. Absolutely. And if you want to attend the MT Forecast Conference, it's going to be October 10th through the 12th at the JW Marriott in Indianapolis, Indiana. Sounds good. MTForecast.com. Bam. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. Jim, how are you doing? I'm good. Can can you solve my problems at Car Machine and Tool? I believe that I can point you in the right direction. And what I mean by that is, I believe that we can put this into two different categories. Are you ready for me? I'm ready for you. People and technology. Wait, let me grab a pen. I'm going to take notes. Write it down. People and technology. I think it can all be thrown into that. And you know, we talk about this all the time on Making Chips. We talk about culture and vision, and that's kind of that people part, because you need to make sure you have the right people. You need to make sure that they're going in the right direction. But technology and manufacturing is also very, very important. You have to have the right technology. And I got to be honest, after IMTS, and I said this before when we were on stage, It's a little scary to think about just the acceleration of technology and keeping up with it. And if you don't keep up, somebody else is going to be there and they're going to quote it lower than you because they have the right technology to produce that cheaper. I mean, is that a scary thought? Well, yes, you're right. But they may not necessarily quote it lower. They're going to be able to automate it and do it faster or, or both or fa- or just make more money doing it. And then they're going to be able to keep reinvesting yeah. and you're going to be like you had a Bridgeport or something like that. Right. You know, and you know, I've been in the industry for decades and I've how many never decades, Jim a, lo- Carr? a lot of decades, more than two. I'm going to stop decade? there. Uh, more than two decades. But anyway, I've seen the things happen so fast just in the last five years. It's remarkable how fast things are Well, you are saw moving. bridge ports, punch tapes. I used to run them. I what, mean, we, we, we had digital readouts, Heidenheim digital readouts on the Bridgeport milling machine and an automatic feeder. So you didn't have to crank the handle. You, there was like a DC motor. Oh, I know. Put on the that end. was amazing. That was awesome. And then we used to have the digital readouts. So yeah, I mean, that's going back to the 80s, but things are just, they say, and somebody told us this, I think at IMTS, that the technology is eclipsing faster than manufacturing is. Yeah. I'm going to have to replace you with a robot. I already said that before. Like my new co-host is going to be a robot. Please go right ahead. He's not going to have the charisma or she, she may not, or he may not have the charisma I have or the inherent wisdom, you know that. We could program for that. Uh, we'll, see. we'll see. We talked about this a little bit on this interview that we have coming up. And I think two of the main things that we focused on with our interview from Tim Teeson from Akuma is that 
notion of the culture of Akuma and the technology of Akuma. So yeah, you know, we're I just going to get say, into that. I knew very little about the Okuma brand. I've heard of them, but I, I felt like that interview was great because we got to do a really deeper dive into their overall culture and how they want to have that long lasting customer relationship. And it really impressed me. And I could genuinely feel that culture when I went into their booth at IMTS and I felt it. Everyone I engaged with gave me a good, warm, honest sense of engagement. They gave you an engaged, warm sense of engagement? Is that what you just said? (laughs) I don't know. It was good, Jim. Yeah, I know you like kicking around big words and it kind of makes me giggle when you do that. So keep doing it, buddy. (laughs) Well, it's all about being (laughs) multi-dynamic. You're just like George Bush. <laughs> oh, this is great. I know. Well, who is the who is the girl, the woman from Mastercam? Megan West. Megan West. So, Jim, and we actually have an interview coming up with someone else from Akuma, too. We have Jim King, right, the, president. the president and CEO of Akuma, yeah, was great. along with Andrew Benson from Iscar and Megan West from Mastercam, where we talk about the trifecta and how they could work together. But before we go there, let's talk about manufacturing news. Then let's go to the interview with Tim Thiessen. So what do we have on the manufacturing news, Jim? We're going to talk about robots again, right? Artificial intelligence in the manufacturing you, industry. Man. Holy moly. I, I guess you could replace me. In five years, you might have it's coming, buddy. A artificial intelligence to replace your good pal Jim Carr with all the charisma and everything else. I'll get a salt and pepper wig on his head. It'll be exactly the same. <laughs> oh, God. That was great. Bingo. Yeah, so they're talking about this new AI in the manufacturing industry, uh, human-robot collaboration. The International Federation of Robotics predicts that by the end of 2018, that's just in a very short few months, there will be more than 1.3 million industrial robots at work in factories all over the world. That's amazing. How about that statement? And and this is from CIO magazine, which is Chief Information Officer. So this is very important to the folks in the IT realm. And the title of the article is Five Ways Industrial AI is Revolutionizing Manufacturing. And if you don't know, AI stands for artificial intelligence. Right. And you know, the thing is, Jason, that I don't think we need to be worried about robots taking over jobs because what it's going to do is it's going to multiply the much more higher demand higher advanced positions in design, maintenance, programming. We're going to let the robots do that tedious work, the the dangerous work. We're taking the human element out of anything that is tedious and arduous. And Um, dangerous, yeah. And dangerous. Well, when I think about this, I think about that scene from Star Wars when it it was a scene where it was like fighter jets and R2-D2 was in the back. He was like the co-pilot, kind of like I'm going to have a robot co-pilot eventually co-host. And what happened was he got shot. The fighter jet got shot and R2-D2 came out and he did like his welding to fix the ship while it was flying. And a human couldn't do that. So robots are going to do things that humans can't do. Kind of like the Jetsons. Do you know what the Jetsons are? I remember the Jetsons, yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Who was the the name of the dad? Here's George Jetson. Jetson. Nice. Good. I'm impressed, my friend. Well, do you have a point as it relates to this article or no? You were kind of like downing me that, you know, I didn't know anything, but I guess you do know a little bit about artificial intelligence. Okay, moving on. Let's go to our interview. We are live here at IMTS at the Akuma booth. You can hear the 
machines buzzing in the background. The energy is high, and we are very excited for our interview today. Um, our guest that we have today joined Akuma in February 1991 as an applications engineer and moved into the role of vice president of sales and marketing in April 2011. He graduated from Berea College with a bachelor's degree in industrial management and technology. In his 20 plus years with Akuma, he has worked as an applications engineer, sales engineer, product manager, and sales manager. I'd like to welcome the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Akuma, Tim Teeson. How you doing, Tim? Good. Great yeah. to be here. And we also have alongside me my good friend Jim Carr. Well, you know, you we were going into the him. interview, and I'm like, yeah, he doesn't even want me to be part of this interview. He wants to take you know, all the glory my, my himself. Sidekick. The, the yeah. Robin to my Batman is right uh, at my side. I don't side. know about that. I don't know about that. Can Straight, I make a brief correction you, here? You can make a brief. I'd like to state that I'm a lathe application engineer. Oh, okay, okay great. we kind of have a thing between lathes, mills, and grinders. Yeah. I just wanted to make that you clear. You know, that's funny because Jim always talks about how snobby he is, is a milling guy. So yeah. you guys should fight it out there, oh, you yeah. know? We can go there if you want. We can go there if you want. But anyway, thank you, Tim, for having us today. It's great. Like Jason said, the excitement here at IMTS on the conference floor is amazing. It is. I know when we were doing our live show yesterday, I looked out at that crowd, and I, I couldn't believe how many people were there. I'm and always surprised when they show up to listen to you, too. Yeah, I know. It's amazing, but it's good that we're no, getting that response. it's been a lot of fun, and I think that we've had some great guests during our panel discussions, and I'm really excited to release those episodes to the Metalworking Nation. I think that we're going to get some great response. Yeah, so Tim, it's a great time to be in manufacturing. And this show is nothing less than stellar. Day three, people are driving into the parking lots right now. Describe the optimism of the people, your customers that are coming into the Okuma booth. What are they saying? What are yeah. they talking about? First of all, I think we expected it to be a great show. The business has been really strong since January. And so we, we knew that there was a lot of opportunities out there. The one thing you're never quite sure of, the last couple shows... Many of our customers say they cut back on the people they send. Sometimes they weren't even coming to the show. But with this year, with all the business, and then obviously you're looking at unemployment and stuff, you know there's a lot of new people in our industry. We were expecting it to be busy. We expected if a customer is going to invest in sending people and, and getting them away from the shop, this would be the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, the only uh, thing I ever hear is people saying, and it was literally only one person, too busy to come. Yeah. Well, I saw an update last night, 122,000 people. They broke a record. Yes. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. And, and we're it's only, exciting. You know, we're only on Wednesday. So. And I just saw a stat that said machine tool sales are up 24.9%. Yep. Yes. Is that right? Oh, we're feeling it. We have a really wide breadth of product, and we are selling from every every part of that product line. Yeah, I'm hearing anywhere from like three months to 18 months yeah. lead time on machine tools. Yeah. Of course, ours are better than others, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it is. it's a challenge right now. Tim Okuma has developed a really strong company culture, and yep. that's glaring when I talk to all of the people that work for your brand. Yep. We all know that a long-term successful company with strong core values are the ones that remain at the top of their game. Yep. Can you break down the Okuma tagline, passionately pursuing a customer for life? I sure can. We are a company that's 120 years old, and a lot of companies don't make it that long, and part of the reason is because they're not willing to change. And our founder, Mr. Aichi Akuma, made a statement that the criticism of one is more valuable than the praise of hundreds. And uh, it's something we have hanging on the wall and we've lived by for a long time. But a few years ago, we were challenged a little bit 
by our distribution model versus a direct model. In the end, you just want to be as close to your customer as possible. And that's really our, kind of a part of our culture. But the other part is that we want everybody to be engaged. We want everybody to be, have a passion about our industry. And so we have a, one of our values is called owning it. And we, we look at that in all aspects of our job, owning the relationship between a distributor and ourselves or a customer and ourselves. And it really is what drives a lot of the employees at Akuma. One of the things that we always, we always talk about at Zengers is we always talk about that we want to empathize with our customer. We always want to make sure that we are sitting in their seats, that we are there to drive profit for the owner of the company. Yeah. And you just recently wrote a blog post called It's Personal, where you talk about empathy. And we do say that at Zangers a lot with empathy being the cornerstone of what we do. Yeah. And I believe that every successful leader out there, I believe that you know Jim, the way he wants to run his company, the way I want to run my company, is that we need to empathize with our customers. Tell me about that whole notion of taking it personally. Yeah, well, I think empathy can't happen until you have some understanding, right? So I think that's where, you know, I just mentioned about being close to a customer. And so it's not only understanding their machining needs, but it could be, you know, they're going through a transition of generational leadership and things like that. And, you know, if we're just talking about machines and not taking into account that there's some management changing happening, there's some supply chain issues that they have, and what can we do to be flexible for them? You know, what are the other things we can do other than just trying to sell them a product? Right. You know, getting better understanding of, of what their needs are and what their opportunities are. So what, what are some of those things that you can do to be flexible? Well, I think some of the things is, you know, if a customer can share with us, hey, I think we're going to do this six months down the road. Well, maybe we can align some a pipeline of machines that's configured more to their needs. Okay. You know, but it starts with, are they comfortable sharing that with us? And we're not going to come, you know, knocking on their door every day looking for that order. So, but you have to build that trust and that understanding before you can start sharing that kind of information. Yeah, I mean, we do talk about that all the time on Making Chips about how the it's not your father's machine shop anymore and yeah. things have changed and that people need to be more open and transparent in their partnerships yeah. so that they can really elevate their business. Because that old, you know, Jim always talked about it at, at his shop, how his dad used to hide the prints, right, Jim? And, and oh, you know, it's, everything was extremely guarded yeah. years And ago. now you need to be transparent. You need to have those tight partnerships where you can make sure that you are keeping up with the competition. Well, I think you have to have trust. You have, yes. to, try, you have to have yep. trust yep. in your employees. Yep. And communication. And your communication, you have to trust in your vendors, and you have yeah. trust in your customers. Right. I think that old school way of doing business has just completely flipped on its head in the last 10 to 15, 20 years. Yeah. I know if my dad knew how I was running his business today, he couldn't believe it. Yeah. But one thing that I want to ask you, Tim, is do you have any statistics on repeat customers? Because what I'm seeing here is your culture and your core values that you're instilling into the Okuma brand are so impactful and so powerful that you have to have statistics on repeat customers. Yeah. What percent of the machine tools that you sell are to repeat yeah. customers? Well, my boss might kill me for saying this oh, he uh, won't on kill public you. radio or whatever, but no, I would tell you that we actually do measure two things. We measure new customers and we re measure returning customers. So New customers, right now we, we're on about a two, two to three year average of 25% of our orders are to new customers. And then we also have been measuring returning customers. So a customer who hasn't bought from us in five years oh, it's five and years. just okay. bought again, that was what we would call. Now, we don't know why they might have gone away from us, 
they may just not bought anything, but we're capturing that, hey, you know, they're coming back. Is so, that how you view an active customer, somebody that buys at least every once every five years? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, so, it's a major capital right. investment. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you can't, it's not like buying an end mill. You yeah, can't. We measure you, it monthly and, right. know, or weekly. Uh, yeah. So. You, you can, people just don't have the capital to invest in machinery like yours. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a huge big investment in capital equipment. They yeah. just don't do it all the time. I mean, yeah. It'd be nice, but yes, it right. wouldn't be. And, and there's something else that I see most of the people here at the Okuma booth. You're wearing that passion button. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. I, I love little things like that that make us yeah. question you. Yeah. Really, that button is part of that tagline that you mentioned, which is, we passionately pursue a customer for life. And we realize that we can sell a machine, but at the same time, we want to follow that customer all through that cycle that they have. You know, like I mentioned, generational leadership changes and stuff. So we can never take for granted their business. And we have to adjust just like they do to, to continue on and build that relationship and keep that trust going forward. But the passion is a, a key part because it speaks to our culture. Our, our people love this industry. They're invested. We celebrated a number of our employees here at the show that have done 15 or more IMTSs. And we're talking about a group of 25 people. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a very strong and something that, you know, we really enjoy. Do you feel that there's some cultural differences in working for a company that is not a U.S. manufacturer? They're a Japanese manufacturer. You know, how do those cultural differences come into play where it affects the team here? You know, when I first started with Akuma, I had a lot of hesitation going to work for a Japanese company. We have about 220 employees and maybe about 10 or 12 Japanese. And they're spread through all different parts of the organization. They're not all at a management level. And really, their role is just to help us better communicate to Japan. But everything we do in support and pursuit of our customer is with Americans. But there's a lot to honor about that Japanese culture. When yeah, it comes I assume to, that that really comes into play with correct. your mission and your vision yep. and your values and everything. Yep. So we really, you know, much like that pursuit of a customer, we want them to have a machine that's going to last 30 years. You know, not a disposable machine. And so we put an emphasis on that reliability, the quality, and the support that comes with it. Tim, you started for Okuma in 1991 yep. as a lathe sales engineer. I know that took a lot and, for you to say that. No, yep. no, no, it did. No, it's great. You know exactly what you're all about. You know yep. what your strength is. You know what you're an expert in, yep. right? Tell me how you came into industry. What, what Did you have a family member that was in manufacturing? Yeah. Did you, was it your dad, your uncle, your mother, yeah. your aunt? Or Tell us a little bit about that because there's always a great story behind yeah. that. Well, Berea College is the where this started for me. It's a tiny little college, 2,000 or so students. But three guys that I went to school with, one of them was from Long Island, New York. When he moved back home, he was looking for a job, and Akuma was just getting started in the U.S. And he got on, and then it was just a chain of effect. You know, one guy got on, called the next guy, and so I was two years later after they had moved from Long Island to Charlotte, and we were all application engineers and didn't know what we were doing, and it's just been a great ride. Are Are those other gentlemen still a part of the team? You wouldn't believe it, but all three of them still work no at Akuma. Kidding. Wow. You know what? That- we all three are married to 
girls that went to that school as well. And one customer told us college. the most impressive part of the story is that you're all still married to those same women. So Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I know. I just oh, had you. 30, and it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, Tim, I'm looking at this card, and it's a very nicely made laminated card. Got you the, want business Akuma, cards like that, yeah, right? Yeah, I do. It's yeah. got the Akuma logo on it, and then on the back, it has your values, and it's divided up into four little sections with yeah. your with your four values, and it has a little bit of more of a breakdown of each of those values. Yeah. And then on the other side, it has the vision and the mission. But the one right. overriding statement that's on there is that open possibilities, which we've talked about before on making chips. But tell me on that open possibilities, how does that really impact your machine tool technology? Like, what is it about open possibilities that really drives the innovations and makes things possible for your customers? Well, open possibilities came from our chairman, Dean Hanaki, a number of years ago. He, what he was trying to express is that he wanted the customer to understand there was probably more than what they might envision for machine tools and solutions. So he wanted to see things that they maybe didn't see themselves. Or help them see it, yes. yeah. And so we easily grabbed onto that. But the other part at that point in time was we were opening up our control to be an open platform PC. So it was kind of a play on both of those things that not only all these different types of machines, lays, mills, grinders, and the automation that goes with it, but the fact that we started to see the control being connected to the business systems, the office side of the business. So we just thought it really spoke to who we are or who we wanted to be at that point in time. So I just heard the machine tools on the conference floor. It's getting close to 10 o'clock. Was it a mill or a lathe you heard? Can you tell well, by the sound? It sounds like a trichoidal cut, actually, from what I'm hearing from this vantage point. Sure, uh, bring up something we can't do that well on lathe. <laughs> oh, is it? Is that something you can't do? No, we can't. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to throw him a bone here. Okay. <laughs> a, tri a tricoidal cut is like a, a radial cut with an end mill that you take maybe 10% of the radial cut of the end mill, but it creates a swath of a cut typically two, four, whatever inches wide. But that's what that sounded like. Jim's new thing is using and misusing big words now. Yeah. So. <laughs> But anyway, before we go down to the conference floor and do a little video and share with the Metalworking Nation the excitement of the conference floor, what is the number one thing that you're most excited about, about the Okuma brand and about the technology yeah. going into the 2019? Well, uh, boy, there's, there's a lot to choose from. Uh, probably for me, it's somewhere between this additive technology that's out there. Now, we do it in form of a hybrid machine. So you're talking about a machine that does both subtractive and additive. And I definitely it, want to see that. Yeah. But then the other side of that is back to the connection of the, the machine to your business systems. Both of those are hot topics with our customers today. And I think our, especially in the area of being connected, that's something they can put in place right now. Additive, there's still some development, right? In the right. in the materials and the programming and everything. It's just moving so fast. Yeah. They don't we just gotta contain it. Right. And it they'll get it right eventually. Right. right. But getting those machines connected, getting those companies connected, that can happen right now. And, and really doesn't cost a lot of money to make it happen. What end user segments have you seen that hybrid machine being used for the most? Because we had on our panel discussion this week, we had Jay Rogers from Local Motors and he has a 3D printed autonomous car and it makes yep. sense there. But I wouldn't intuitively think that 
I'm going to use additive on a department defense part or an aerospace part, but yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, where have you seen that hybrid machine being used most? I've definitely been proven wrong a number of times too. So we all have. Yeah, yeah I mean yeah. that's that's part of growing. It's such a new technology that people are coming up with ideas every day that are applying it in a different way. But if you think about the speed of doing business today, maybe you need to have a prototype done faster than you did the last time. And also the availability of materials, especially those exotic materials. If that part now all of a sudden at the last minute needs a boss on it, something that I got to go back down my supply chain versus being able to add that boss and then machine it off. I mean, that's where you look at those, those type of parts or the fact that you're in the early stages and you haven't really determined what the end result's going to look, look like. That added machine, just additive machine, provides a ton of flexibility. So you're mostly seeing it in the prototyping and, like, say, the non-critical parts right now. Yeah, but even like you mentioned, the aerospace, you've got obviously the new platforms of aerospace, but you've also got those old ones where you need a part that they made 20 years ago. Right. Well, I mean, like a legacy part that I might be making in correct, my shop. Right. So all that all that raw stock that they used 20 years ago like, is not like sitting on the shelf. Great cast iron right, or something right, like that. Right. So they're not going to go back to a forging house or something to get it the oh same way God. they did the first time, right? So now they can use maybe a big blank. They're going to waste a lot more material, but they have the ability to make that part a lot faster. So, so the lead times are cut into like right. 20% of what it could be. Yeah. So you're saying even like the material science part of it is up to snuff in order to create a part for the aerospace industry. Yeah, it's it's getting there. I mean, obviously the machines are very expensive. The material, the the powdered metal is very expensive. You got to pay attention to all the safety concerns. Those are continuing to be developed. On our machine down there, you'll see a laser spy, which is really all meant to protect the operator and the environment. Make sure that laser doesn't get out of the machine. Tim, it, these hybrid machine tools that Okuma is making now... I would imagine they're not for production type work. It's strictly for low volume, high mix, mm-hmm. right? Is for that, the most part, is, yes. Is that your target that you're trying to sell to? Because obviously people, if they're going to be doing thousands and thousands of part, yeah. it doesn't make sense for them to do an additive and subtractive hybrid machine. Whereas I get the whole concept, you want to create the part and you want to put the material on the table and then take it off and bring it into tolerance right. and, and just fine tune it and tweak it to right. size right yeah, because, there. I mean, at this point, you can remove metal, you can remove material faster than you can add material yeah. at this point. At least yes. now. I mean, I don't want to say that's always yeah. going to be the case, but yeah. So you have, you have parts that really lend themselves to do all of this on a subtractive machine and then send it over to maybe a dedicated additive machine. But what we're looking at is the, the times where, Hey, I'm investing in this, but I don't really know what the future is going to hold. So investing in this high-tech machine that can do both, that hybrid capability. If you look down on the floor, you know, the multitaskers that we all have in our booths, that's the same thing. That's a lathe with milling capability, right? right? And everybody's going that direction. I I think additive is just one step further in that direction. I think you're right. Tim, before we break off the mics and go down to the conference floor and start looking around, can you tell us, Jason and I, and and the metalworking nation that's listening to the show today, can you give them one piece of information that they can equip and inspire themselves with, with regards to machine tool technology of the future and where it's going and what they really should think about? Oh, wow. I know. It's Um, a big question, but I, I know you can handle it. Yeah. 
I, I'll just tell you, I, I think the best way to answer that is to say, what are we talking about as a builder? And, and other builders would be too. And that would be the artificial intelligence. So it's coming, right? I mean, you get in your car, your car does all kinds Everything. of things it never used to do. So with the sensor technology and all of that, you know, the next big leap is how can that machine be intelligent? Because you're always adding new people to that machine that it takes a while to understand how to fully take advantage of all the capabilities of that machine. But if there's some intelligence that can go along with that and guide you or take you down that path, I think that's where probably the next great step is oh, going to so be. Oh, so you believe that the adaptability of learning the machine tool yeah. is going to become leaps and bounds quicker to to learn how to run that, the machine tool in the yeah. future? Yeah, and we have some of this today, like we call it collision avoidance. I'm trying to watch out for something the operator is about to do that's going to damage the machine. And if I can give them an alert or just stop them from doing that, that's a big value to a customer. Well, first of all, nobody's going to get hurt. And the second of all, you probably just save yourself a bunch of dollars in rebuilding a spindle. We talked about that during our panel discussion on educating the next generation. And it used to be the mindset that I need to start somebody trained on a old school manual lathe or a bridge port, and then I need to move them up to the CNC, but it's different now. Now you just get them going in the CAD CAM software and you get them doing the design and then you bring them onto the CNC machine and yep. they don't even think about that. And it's that same thing with the artificial intelligence. There's a way to really leapfrog people's ability to get on that machine tool yeah. so much quicker because of that new technology. Yeah. And the kids nowadays, frankly, don't want to learn the manual machines. Let's yeah. be honest. They don't want to hear from their leader, you need to start on this this old lay. They're going to be like, I'll go somewhere else where they're going to teach me right onto the CNC machine. Yeah. And, and when I say artificial intelligence, I'm talking about deep stuff. You know, I, I'm not talking about Alexa and, hey, I want to listen to this song. What I'd be talking about is that machine's identifying that I'm using it in such a way that if I only did this, I wouldn't wear that ball screw out. Or if I did this, oh, I wouldn't crash that. That, that is preventative deep. digitization, yeah. Right. Wow. yeah, which is great. Do your, do your machines play music? Is that a, a little uh, <laughs> like secret that we're learning here? I'm Don't tell chips. anybody, but I like disco. Only 80s rock, yes. That's all. <laughs> anyway, it looks like we're just about out of time. Tim, well, thank you so much for inviting us up to your booth today. It's been exciting. The energy here is just overwhelming, quite frankly. And it's a pleasure to meet you and your entire team. Hey. I feel your culture. Just when we walked in, I felt very welcomed by everybody that I met, and it's just an absolute pleasure to meet everybody here. Well, thank yeah. you. I respect what you guys are doing. I love the name Making Chips. You know, as a former applications engineer, that's what it's all about. And well, how do we say at the end of the show, if you're not making chips, you're, you're not, not making, making money. money. There you go. Bam. Bam. So, Jim, that was a great interview. It was. I, and Did you, know, you hear all the noise in the background? from? Yeah, IMTS? it was all the machines cool. buzzing awesome. and stuff like that. Loved and it. it was just a IMTS and, and just everything going on with Akuma was just super multi-dynamic. And, yes, you it know, was, Jason. I, I know you're always, you want to be authentic. And, I am um, authentic. Uh, and, I'm and as authentic kind of as stuff. they come. And sometimes, though, when you throw these made-up words around, your intelligence sounds very artificial. Well, I wait have a to minute. tell you that. Well, let me ask you, am I making up words? Or am I stringing words together that aren't aligned? Well, I think that's the same thing. No, made up word is a made up word. You know, wishwash or mishmash or those are made up words. But multidynamic is not a made up word. That's two words that shouldn't be aligned together.
You know what? Actually, I was talking with a client. So you know how I told you that we're getting involved with selling and implementing robotics at Zangers. And he made up this kind of funny word, CocoBots. Yeah. What does that mean? Now, that's so, a, that is a made up word. No, I agree it, with you it's on kind that. of funny though. CocoBots. So like the, you call it's the like collaborative, well, collaborative robots, you can call them like a cobot. And a CocoBot- so Can you spell it? C-O-C-O-B-O-T-S. Okay. And a CocoBot is two robots collaborating with each other. Okay. It's a made up word. Yeah, yeah, but it's funny. You're, you're, Did you're, I laugh? No, but it's funny. I think multi-dynamic is much more dynamic. Well, but it's not funny. Well, that's true. If you want to hear more about Jason's comedic abilities, please subscribe to Making Chips so we can get you the latest information from his residency at Second City. <laughs> I don't even think they respond to that. <laughs> because if you're not making chips... You're not making money. Bam. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. I've never seen Star Wars. Yeah, you need to get with it. (laughs)